We are continuing our study in the book of Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 17, where we'll be going through eight verses. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. It's a very familiar story. And Luke writes that while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, tomorrow, as you know, we'll be observing Memorial Day. And other major holidays for that fact really should encourage us to keep in mind that these days are days of gratitude. Now, holidays often lose their meanings because the focus of that day and what they originally commemorate are easily forgotten. So, in, so for instance, Memorial Day is not about barbecuing or watching sports, but it's supposed to be about showing appreciation and gratitude for those who in service gave the ultimate sacrifice in defending their country. There are other holidays which the same focus on gratitude have slowly been lost. For instance, Independence Day, Veterans Day, both it seems, at least to me, have become days for getting great deals on cars, and air conditioning units, right? Now, did you know there's actually a day on the calendar observed on September 21st called World's Gratitude Day? Now, what is World's Gratitude Day? Well, the website called National, nationaldaycalendar.com says World Gratitude Day is a day to celebrate the impact of showing appreciation towards each other. It affords us the opportunity to pause and recognize the transformative power that gratitude has to energize individuals and positively influence people's lives and drive cultural change in the workplace. They go on to say that, and let me know if this sounds familiar to you, did you know that having an attitude of gratitude is good for you? Being thankful results in physical, emotional, and many types of benefits. For example, practicing kindness improves sleep. 
lowers stress levels, and boosts immune systems. Gratitude also reduces symptoms of depression and improves self-esteem. If all that weren't enough, practicing gratitude enhances social and professional skills. End quote. Well, as the saying goes, let me remind you that not everything on the internet that you read is true, right? (laughs) Now, I don't know how much of this is actually true, but today what we're here to find out is what the scripture has to say on the issue of gratitude. You'll note that the emphasis of their understanding on gratitude really centers upon the benefits that you will receive by being thankful. They mention everything from improved sleep to enhanced professional skills. Now, what they say may or may not be true. Most likely it's a combination. But when Jesus speaks to us concerning gratitude, he's not concerned with the pragmatic. Rather, he wants us to know more about God and what he expects in our response to him. In our day, it seems that everything is being redefined. Words are being redefined. Roles are being redefined. Gender and even ways of expressing gratitude are being redefined with the focus turned inward on self. Our text today addresses the very same topic, but you'll notice from a completely different perspective. When Jesus speaks of gratitude, he's not turning it inside out so that what's inherently supposed to be focused upon others is not turned around and focused back upon ourselves. What I want you to see is that in this message, overall, this passage communicates that believers are to be characterized by gratitude. Gratitude which doesn't consider the self but maintains that outward focus particularly on God. Gratitude that isn't inwardly focused on improving self-esteem or sleep or the immune system, but gratitude that is outwardly focused on God and glorifying him expressly for what he has done. Now, let's follow along with Luke as we continue to read about a story that he tells us about Jesus' encounter with ten very sick men. Look at verse 11. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. So as we catch up with Jesus, he's been making his way to Jerusalem ever since the ninth chapter of this book. And in the ninth chapter, he instructed his disciples to go out and preach the gospel. And indeed, we read in the beginning of chapter 9, it says, Luke records that he says, departing, they began going through the villages, preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. And that's exactly what we find here today in our text that Jesus is doing. We're not told what village this is, but we are told that Jesus and his disciples are currently between Galilee and Samaria. For some context, Samaria and Galilee are within the land of what was formerly the northern kingdom, which had been conquered by the Assyrians in 720 B.C. Now, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, will ultimately fall at the hands of the Babylonians around 586 B.C. And, of course, this is what we're currently reading, what John had brought to light in the book of Jeremiah. 
Now, Bible commentators had suggested that through this event of healing of the ten leper, Jesus is actually linking himself to the earlier prophets, not only by association of the same events, but also in its location. Back in the fifth chapter of 2 King, there's a recorded encounter, and you'll notice well, between Elisha and the prophet Naaman. Naaman is the commander of the, of the king of Syria's army, and he has also been suffering with the terrible disease of leprosy. Naaman would come to Elisha, who resides in Dothan, a city, again, located on the borders of Samaria and Galilee, and he, too, would receive healing of his leprosy. And this would lead him to say this in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, some have pointed to this geographical parallel of Jesus healing the ten lepers because it takes place within a few miles of where Elisha healed Naaman. And like the healing we're about to see here in Luke's gospel, Naaman was a healing that not only required a level of faith and obedience, but also resulted in the praise and gratitude of God. So as we follow along in Luke's narrative, we find Jesus entering this unnamed village and encountering ten men afflicted with the disease of leprosy. Everything that Jesus wants us to teach that he wants to teach us in this passage is really built on the response to these men. And that response of Jesus is to heal them. Look with me at verse 12 through 14. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, you might be wondering if Jesus came to this unnamed village, probably unannounced, how is it that these ten men knew to meet up with him at this particular time? Well, in a recent stunning archaeological dig, unearthed was a copy of News Channel 12 report written on ancient papyri. Okay, I'm glad you got it. (laughs) That was a joke. I'm checking to see if you're awake. (laughs) Kidding aside, it's more probable that when Jesus had sent out the 72 from chapter 9 and chapter 10, he sent out disciples in pairs and appointed them to go ahead. As we saw back in chapter uh, 10, the news of Jesus' work and message And it's more likely that this work and his message reach this very village, preparing the way for Jesus and his encounter. If you have been suffering like these men, it's perhaps with great anticipation that these men would daily make their way to the gate, just waiting for the visitation of Jesus and the opportunity to plead mercy. Today, what we see is that the wait is over. Finally, they would meet the one that they heard about, the one who performed all types of signs and wonders to everyone's amazement. We know that the news of Jesus' approach must have reached these men, 
and everyone in the region because even these men heard of it. Suffering from leprosy, they were outcasts from society. And if they knew of Jesus' coming, certainly everybody else did. Now today, the disease of leprosy isn't as common as it once was. In fact, worldwide, there have been less than 20,000 cases a year. It's commonly referred to as Hansen's disease. If left untreated, it can lead to a lifelong chronic disability. Symptoms include discolored patches of skin that may be numb and look faded, growth nodules on the skin, thick, stiff, and dry skin, painless ulcers on the feet, painless swelling or lumps on the face or earlobes, and also loss of eyebrows and eyelashes. Today, if caught early, this disease can be cured in a year or less. But again, we're talking about the ancient day here, and treatment like this wasn't available. And by Levitical law, not only were these men not winning any beauty contests, but they remained segregated from the rest of society for fear of infecting others. Everywhere that they went, people knew of their arrival, because by law they had to make their presence known. Unclean! Unclean! They would shout to alert people of their coming and their going. Back in 2 Kings, one of Elisha's servant was struck with leprosy, and his skin was described as becoming as white as snow. Not a good look. Because Levitical law legally required these men to stay at a distance, they could only do what desperate men in their position do. They had no hope. They couldn't get near. So they did what they could only do, and that was cry aloud. And cry aloud they did. Notice that first, calling Jesus by his name and then addressing him as master. And this suggested that they knew of his immense authority and pleading for the exercise of that authority by begging him for his mercy. Verse 13 says, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Take note that their cry is specifically directed to the person of Jesus as master, perhaps indicating they heard how by the authority of his word, he quieted the storms. He healed and delivered many, and then he raised people from the dead. And perhaps they thought, what is he going to do for us? So after a long time of depressing isolation and segregation, while they had this opportunity to be set free, while maintaining their social distancing, of course, they cried out to the master of all, have mercy on us. This desperate, unanimous cry acknowledged that they needed Jesus' healing touch, even as they were prohibited from reaching out and touching him. What would Jesus say in response? What would he do? These men were restricted from getting close. And even as they cried out, it seems Jesus didn't even acknowledge that they were there until he finally lifted his head. And then he saw them. And now he responds. Draw your eyes to verse 14. Jesus says, it's, Luke records, when he saw them, he said to them, 
Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. At the sight of lepers and hearing their plea for mercy, Jesus commands them to go and show themselves to the priests. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't command the spirit of leprosy, come out. He doesn't require them to bathe as Elijah did. As Elijah had Naaman do in the river, he simply responds with a command, sending them on their way to the priest. And take notice, in obedience, all the men go without even being told they would be healed. And as they were still on their way to get inspected, they are suddenly and fully and instantly healed. There are a few things to take notice in this verse. First, just as I said earlier that Jesus is linked to the prophets based on his work, Jesus does does what Elijah did for Naaman. Elijah sent Naaman to go to bathe in the river. And if you remember this story, Naaman was angry, thinking that this is just such a silly request. I've got leprosy and you want me to go and bathe in a river? And even if I should obey and bathe in a river, surely there are better rivers than in Israel back home in in Syria. It wasn't until the little servant girl that he had implored him, why don't you just listen to the prophet and do as he commands? So Naaman obeyed Elisha and he bathed. Perhaps this was on the mind of these men and why they obeyed Jesus' command without question. Being greater than a former prophet, Jesus sends Ten men on their way directly to the priest without requiring them to bathe. Instead, he sends them directly to the authority without any seeming resolution. Just a command to do as I have instructed. Second thing I want you to keep in mind, the temple priests at this time did double duty as health inspectors. They were there as religious leaders to confirm healings before allowing those segregated with leprosy to rejoin the general population. The priest's confirmation of the healing would and did prove Jesus' authority, even as though most of them were in opposition to him. The third thing I want you to see is that as they were on their way after obeying Jesus' command to go go see the priest, they were healed. Luke makes no mention of whether they believed or not. Simply, they were healed. And like all of Jesus' healing, you'll notice this wasn't a partial healing, but a full physical healing. It was a healing which demonstrated that Jesus is, in fact, master, having authority over all things. So much so that he could send these ten men on their way to get inspected without uttering a word about their condition, knowing that they would be healed based on the authority of his word. It's a far cry from so-called modern-day healing, isn't it? They can never demonstrate the undeniable healing from such a visible and unmistaken disease. When you read Jesus' response, you can sense the scope of his authority. He says, the kids say to me today, yo, he is boss. That's a person full of authority. And what he says, yeah, it usually comes true. And they say this because, just look at the story. 
There's no exertion upon Jesus. There's no stalling. There's no distraction. There's no sleight of hand, right? Jesus just gives a simple command. Go and show yourselves to the priest. Get, get inspected. Get verified. I can imagine at the inspection, the priest would have undoubtedly asked, how did this happen to you? Did we just see you at the gate? Full of those scales and sores? How so quickly and how so thoroughly? You can go to as many healing crusades and conferences as you like, but here's the truth. You'll never find healing happening like that which Jesus performed. When one compares what happened in these modern day healings against the healings performed by Jesus, they are completely and entirely different. When Elisha healed Naaman, the scripture records that when he came out of the water and listened to this undeniable result after being disfigured and marred by leprosy, the scripture says his skin was made a new light child's skin. Now we're not told of the condition of the ten men after being healed, but I'm sure they also received child skin. Since, of course, it's the same God who is in the Old Testament and the New Testament who performed these miracles. After suffering so long under this disease, the toll it must have taken under these men's lives should have elicited a range of thankful expressions. Expressions of gratitude directed towards Jesus. But as we see in the story here, unfortunately, there's only one of these men who exhibits the expected response. And the startling thing about this man is that he's the last one people would have expected to respond properly. Look with me at verse 15 and 16. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Yet again, these two verses are chock full of important details that we should not ignore. First, there's the acknowledgement that all ten men were healed even before they arrived to the temple for their inspection. Second, The healing awoke a chord of gratitude in only one of the ten. Like the others, he was commanded to go and immediately show himself to the priest to be certified. And instead, he goes back to Jesus and shows his gratitude. In humility, he prostrates himself in lowly homage as he thanked the master. Remember, While they were all initially suffering with this disease, they all cried out aloud together for Jesus to exercise his authority, pleading, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. But now, being being healed, only one of the ten comes back to glorify God and showing him appreciation for what he's done. The third thing you want to see here, and this is why it's so important that when you look at scripture, you just don't read it, but you read to study it. The third one is that Jesus is God. Look again at that verse. 
It seems only that the Samaritan clearly understood this, but not the others. Awoken in this simple foreigner was the revelation that Jesus is God, which resulted in God being glorified and credited for his work. Look at the text again. Glorifying God with a loud voice, right? Don't miss this. He fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. It's the similar expression that Doubting Thomas had when the risen Lord showed up and presented himself to him. Thomas proclaimed, my Lord and my God. If you have the NSAB or the New King James Version, you notice the capitalization of the pronouns his and him belonging to Jesus. I think this best brings out this truth. If you take away some of the extra description, it literally reads, glorifying God at his feet, giving thanks to him. So much for the silly argument that people cite that Jesus never said he was God. If you're a faithful student of the scripture, you know that had you done this to Moses, to the apostles, to any one of the angels of God, their response would have been a rebuke to you saying, don't do that. We're merely servants of the most high. We are unworthy of your worship. But notice this. Jesus does not only reject the worship of the Samaritan, but as we, see, as we will see later, he expects it. By the way, I was just thinking of one of these new translations of the Bibles that always comes out and, you know, such as a gender-neutral translation. And I'm just thinking here, had we had that translation, it would have read something like, they fell on their face at them feet, giving thanks to them. (laughs) How'd you lose everything there? That's why redefining the concepts and the word of God can be completely damaging. Fourth, listen to this. It's now revealed that The one who returns is a Samaritan. Now, normally, Jews and Samaritan had little to do with one another. But it seems that the horror of leprosy brought them together. While they were suffering suffering with this disease, there was no distinction worth making amongst them. Luke makes the observation that this Samaritan would have been the last to give thanks to a Jewish leader, but... He was the first and apparently the only one of the ten. Fifth, I want you to see, foreigners can also be in right relationship with God. This is the same time that Jesus uses a Samaritan to make this point. It's preparatory for the saving of Gentiles by the apostle and still what God is doing today by the gospel. The sixth thing I want you to see, and most importantly in the crux of my message, is that God's mercy should yield gratitude. Without doubt, one of the characteristics of a believer is that he or she shows gratitude to God for his healing work in their lives. It's the basis for us gathering today and every other Lord's Day to show appreciation to God who has saved us and renewed us and prepared a new dwelling place for us. Amen?
Indeed, curing us from the disease of sin and death. It's our weekly holiday. One that we're called to observe regularly without selfish motives. So I hope today no one is here because they think they'll get better sleep or a better immune system. If this Samaritan can return and worship God and give thanks for curing his skin disease, how much more should we, who've been saved and given the promise of eternal life, come to God expressing our gratitude? This should be the pattern of true believers. I understand we often fail. Fail in our obligation towards God. But nevertheless, it's a distinction of true believers who are called to worship God and show gratitudes because of his great work that he's done in our lives. The seventh thing I want you to see here is that God's blessing can be appreciated or not appreciated. Surely based on his action, the Samaritan appreciates Jesus and what he's done for him. But it seems like the other nine They don't appreciate it. They don't appreciate what Jesus has done. In fact, this distinction seemingly is a result of an apparent inner work done in the Samaritan. We know this based on the following questions Jesus asks in the next part of Luke's story. Look at verse 17 and 18. Then Jesus answered and said, Were were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? In a series of questions, Jesus, you can feel it, expresses utter disappointment with the nine. Was it not all who received healing? Should not all of them have returned to show their gratitude and praise to God? Didn't all of them have equal motive to praise God? It would seem that the nine were so absorbed in the happiness for their new healing that they did not not think to give thanks to the actual source. The one exception is this foreigner, a man who did not even belong to the chosen people of God. His gratitude stands in stark contrast to the healed Jews and would be the evidence for him being made well, as we'll see in the conclusion to the story found in verse 19. It reads, and he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Encouraging this man to go on his way with his newfound healing, Jesus told him that his faith has made him well. This Samaritan had faith that leads to gratitude. Jesus recognized in this man uh, that his, he, what Jesus recognized in this man was the faith that brings salvation and sent him off with an insurance of not only physical healing, but it would seem spiritual healing. His soul was as healed as his body. Full restoration of an individual means a saved soul as well as a restored body. Again, going back to Naaman in 2 King, after his healing, he would say this about God. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. 
It's apparent that Naaman became a true believer. And guess what? He was also a foreigner. He was the captain of the army of the king of Syria that frequently raided Israel. So in conclusion, as we consider this text, I want you to keep in mind that the emphasis is on the one who returned and glorified God and showed gratitude. The other nine are just simply a counterpoint. But the one is the one that's in focus, not the nine. It informs us of our, of, it informs us of our application. If the focus is the one, that means that's the expectation for us being true believers of God. So then, as a proper example is found in the Samaritan, we also, being true believers, are to show our gratitude to God for having mercy on us. It's the product of having experienced his mercy and full restoration. Just like the Samaritan, now that you have your healing, an eternal life, that God has provided in Christ, I want you to take every opportunity to glorify God because he's worthy of all our praise and our honor. Always be thankful to God in everything. And then what I want you to do is get up, like he instructed the Samaritan. Get up and go. Go honor your God. Go preach the gospel. Go be a faithful spouse, a faithful parent, a faithful member in this congregation or whatever congregation is your home. And even more importantly, go and be a faithful citizen of the kingdom of God. This is because your faith has made you well. Now go out and live it. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, we are so thankful. Thankful because like this Samaritan being those who used to be counted as afar from your promises and your covenant, being those who are but mere foreigners, you have brought us close. It is in your son that we have received forgiveness, a new life unto eternal life. It is because of your son and his work that he has done that we show up every single Lord's day showing our gratitude for the awesome work that you have done and continue to do. So then, Father, as we get up and go and live out our faith, give us the power by the Spirit of God to go and preach the gospel to the loss of this world. Because as we know, the death rate is 100%. And because of that, everyone is in danger who does not know of your name who does not serve you and worship you and give gratitude for the work that you have done, the full and complete healing work in our lives. May we go about and show ourselves as worthy servants of God, always thanking him and always being fruitful as he has designed us to be by using our gifts and again, speaking to others well of you and blessing your name. This we pray in the name of the Father and the Son. Amen. We're in hymn 572. 
please stand with me as we worship.